Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome once again to our uh, Wednesday night Bible study in the book of Romans. Uh, tonight, we begin a new chapter, Romans chapter 5, and we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. The title of our lesson is Exulting in Hope. Now, before we get to our verses, I want to uh, kind of do a quick review, and, and the easiest way to do this is to just ask a question. What is it that makes a person a Christian? Or another way to do ask it would be what happens in order to make a person a Christian? Well, one of the things that we found out, or we found out four things in the book of Romans. First thing is the gospel itself has to be made uh, known to us. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ. Um, I don't find anywhere in the Bible where a person is saved without hearing the message about Jesus Christ. We must hear the historical fact that God sent his son uh, into the world, uh, born of a virgin, to die on a cross, and raised from a tomb. Once we hear that historical message, that, that message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit then must open our heart to uh, see. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God, who, is, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God who in Genesis says, Let there be light, must say the same thing for us in our heart, for us to see Christ as he really is, not just a historical figure, but the Son of God who is more trustworthy, more to be desired, more valuable than all human treasures. Once he does that, then that is when faith is born. There's a great uh, story in John chapter 6. A lot of people have been following uh, Jesus, uh, have become his disciples, and he begins to teach some, some very hard uh, teachings. And, uh, and, it, and it tells us in John chapter 6, after that, many turned away and followed him no more. And Jesus turns to the 12 disciples and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Simon Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of, of life. You see, we come to a point where we trust in him no matter what. And then the fourth thing, at that point, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, then at that point, we are made right with God, what the Bible calls justified. You see, the Spirit of God unites us to Christ so that his death becomes our death. His life becomes our life. We've said it multiple times in our study so far. It's what we call the great exchange. He takes our sin and we get his righteousness. Now, at that point, we stand before God uh, forgiven and completely righteous. God sees us as if we have never made a single mistake. Now, we come to chapter 5, and I want you to watch what Paul says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. So he's, he's kind of springboarding off everything we've learned uh, in chapters 2 and chapters 3 and chapters 4. And he's saying, therefore, through faith, we now stand justified, made right before God. And he tells us two things. He says this, first of all, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. We're no longer his enemies, but we are at peace with our judge and with our God. And then he says this, Through him we've also obtained by faith access into this grace in which we 
stand. Now, we've got peace with God. We're standing in the grace of God. Um, we are made right with God. What is our response? Well, Paul tells us in verse 2, he says, we rejoice. The word there is the word exult. Um, the Merriam-Webster definition says to be extremely joyful, to be elated. I love some of the synonyms for this. To crow, to, to jubilate, to kick up your heels, to, to walk on air. You see, this isn't something you do when you get a new car or you pass a test. This is having a new child uh, kind of rejoicing. This is the cancer is gone. Uh, kind of joicing. This is the doctor saying, I don't know what that other doctor saw, but I don't see anything uh, kind of joy. So this is, this is beyond just being happy. This is over the moon type of, of joy. But notice what we are to exult in. Paul says this, we rejoice in hope of the glory of, of God. Now, I want to talk a little bit tonight about what is hope. Now, here's the thing. Hope is a term that, to be quite honest, when I see it in the Bible, I've sometimes struggled with it. And the reason for that is that the English definition of hope and the biblical definition of hope are two different things. They're not the same. So let me, let me explain. When we use the word hope in English, we're actually expressing uncertainty rather than certainty. If a child says, I hope daddy gets home early, what he's saying is, I want him to get home early. I wish he gets home early. I desire that he gets home early. But the fact is, at the bottom line, you have no idea if he's going to make it. You hope. And see, so in the English, when we use that word, we're actually expressing uncertainty as opposed to certainty. But that's not the biblical meaning of hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation that God is going to do what he promised he will do. You see, biblical hope not only wants something, but it expects it. In fact, not only does it expect it to happen, it's confident that it will happen. Titus 3.7 says this, Being justified by his grace, we are made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That, that's the Greek word elpis. It means to expect or anticipate with pleasure. Now, why would biblical hope be different? Why would biblical hope be full of certainty as opposed to uh, our, our English hope, which is full of uncertainty? Well, it's all about the person you're putting hope in. Let's say I've got a good friend of mine that I've known for years and years. And this friend, uh, I'm talking to him on the phone, and he says, I'll be at your house in, in 10 minutes. Now, do I hope he make it, makes it, or do I expect him to make it? Well, obviously, I expect him to be there. Why? Because I know him. He's a man of his word. He's not a liar. He's always on time. He always does what he says he will do. So it's not that I want him to be there, and I wish he's going to be there. I actually expect him to be there because I know that person. Well, how much more? For those of us that put our hope in God, how much more? should we expect the sovereign God of the universe to do what he said he would do? After all, no, he's not going to run into circumstances. He's not, you know, my friend, let's face it, could get a flat tire. His car could, could run hot. He could have a heart attack or something. You know, there are things that could possibly happen, but nothing catches God off guard. 
There's no unforeseen circumstances that can happen to him. That's why in Titus 1-2 it says this, In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. That's a great verse because it shows us that we're putting our hope in someone who cannot lie. So there is no uncertainty. It's an expectation of what is going to happen. So Paul says, exult in hope. Don't don't sit around thinking this is uncertain, that it might not happen. No, expect it to happen because it's guaranteed by the one who controls all things. Now, Paul doesn't stop there. There's more. Look at what he says in verses 3 through 5. And he says, not only this, but we also exult, there's that word again, in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, or does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So here we are, Paul says, we hope, we, we expect, we anticipate with pleasure, with confidence that after death we're going to be with Christ. But before that day, you're going to have troubles. The, the word for tribulation uh, means troubles or suffering. Um, and, and the thing is, Paul says, how should we react to tribulation? How should we react to trouble? Paul says, you should exult in them. Why? Because they have a purpose in the Christian life. Now, before we talk about that purpose, let's ask this question. What are tribulations? Well, tribulations are anything that tests your faith. Anything that makes your life harder and threatens your faith in the goodness and the power and the wisdom of God. Those are tribulations. And by the way, it's all normal. Jesus said in John 16, I've told you these things that in me you, have, you may have peace. For in this world you will have tribulation. doesn't matter who you are, young, old, uh, male, female, black, white, rich, poor, American, uh, Russian, doesn't matter. You're going to have tribulations in this life. Jesus has already uh, told us this. But in today's verses, Paul, to be honest, says an astonishing thing. He says, exult in your suffering. Exult in your, in your troubles and in your tribulations. Now listen, <laughs> I understand that's what he's calling us to do. But how can that be? I mean, I may have to go through suffering, and I get it. That's part of life. But why should I jump for joy? Why should I exult in those, in those things? Because Paul says they have purpose. And he goes so far as to tell us what the purpose is. First of all, he says this, tribulation brings about endurance. Look at verse 3. He says, we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation, and the Greek word there is thalipsis. It's kind of hard to say. And he says, this thalipsis brings about perseverance or in endurance. Now, this is a really interesting word in the Greek, and it means pressure. That's what it means. In this world, you will have pressure. See, something happens in your life, and it's hard, and it's painful, and it's frustrating, and it's disappointing. And what it's doing is putting pressure on your faith. And you have two ways that you can react. You have two choices when this pressure comes into life. First thing you can do is, by grace, you can look to Jesus Christ. You can look to His power. 
in His sufficiency, in His love, in His wisdom, in His fellowship, and you can trust in Him. And you will make your way through that pressure and your faith will endure and you'll actually come out the other side stronger than when you went in. In fact, that's exactly what's going on here. Your faith is becoming stronger. It's stronger the way tempered steel is stronger. I don't know if you know anything about how uh, how steel and iron and, and some metal alloys are treated, but what they'll do is they actually apply heat to uh, like steel. Steel in its natural state is so hard it's brittle and when they apply heat to it it actually makes it tougher by decreasing its its hardness. You see tribulation is like the fire that tempers the steel of our faith. Its purpose is to make your faith tougher. In fact to make your faith unbreakable. But you see there's a second choice as well. Because just as tribulation makes true faith stronger, it also exposes the faults. You see, there are some who say they are believers in Christ and and tribulation, pressure comes into their life. And instead of falling on Christ and trusting in Christ and His provision and His love and His wisdom, they go the other way. They turn to bitterness and they get uh, resentful and they complain and whine and all of those kind of things. By the way, Jesus told us this would happen in Matthew 13. He in the in the parable of the wheat. I'm sorry, in the parable of the sower, he talks about the seed that falls on rocky places. And this is what he said. He said, "The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary." And when affliction or persecution, there's that pressure. When it comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. See, here's the thing. The pressure that's being applied through suffering and tribulation, it's not creating faith and it's not destroying faith. It's just revealing what's already there. You see, true faith will always thrive and grow stronger in that pressure. False faith will always fall away. So here... You've got tribulation produces endurance. And then Paul says this, endurance produces proven character. Verses 3 and 4, let's read them again. We also exult in our tribulations knowing that this pressure brings about endurance. And endurance brings about proven character. The the focus here is really on the word proven, which is the Greek dokumen. And it means, it's like when you put a metal through testing, it comes out the other side proven or authentic or genuine or, or real. That's Paul's point here. When you go through tribulation and your faith is tested and it comes out the other side and you're still a believer, what you know about yourself is you get this wonderful sense of authenticity or genuineness. You know that your faith is real because it's withstood the the challenge of this pressure. And this proven character of your faith now produces hope. Again, let's read verses 3 and 4. We also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about endurance, endurance, proven character, and proven character brings about, and there's that word again, hope. You see, when your faith has been tried in affliction, and you've come through the other side, and your faith is now stronger, and it's been proven genuine and authentic, then you know you're a real Christian. You know you're not a fake one. And that gives you this confident expectation that you will inherit His glory. 
You know, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I found that one of the greatest obstacles in our life is this fear that we're a hypocrite, right? That our faith is not real. You see, sometimes we don't know our own heart. And I think sometimes we're, you know, you think, well, am I a real Christian or am I just motivated by uh, maybe things that are not honoring uh, to God? And one of the purposes of suffering is to give you victory over those worries or those fears, to give you a hope, a confident expectation that you truly are a child of God. Romans 5, 5, and then Paul says this, as we said at the beginning, and hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. And he goes on, and because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, we'll pick up next week with verse 5, and we'll talk about the love of God. But tonight, we just want to stop right there. Hope does not disappoint. As a Christian, we can put our hope and faith in Christ, and he will bring pressures, he'll bring tribulations into our life to prove that faith, to 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 strengthen that faith so that we know we know that we are children of God and we can hope in that fact. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our study in this book of Romans. We thank you as we turn to chapter 5 and what a what a wonderful subject which is hope. God help us to understand and see that the English word hope is always about uncertainty. But the biblical hope is always the opposite. It's always about certainty. Why? Because you said it. We have a God who cannot lie. We have a God who, when he says it, he'll bring it to pass. And Father, we put our hope in you, not in ourselves, not in anything that we bring to the table, but wholly and completely in you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.